Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it, and judge it to decide whether it should be set free <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the transcontinental podcast with me, Conrad, all the way up in Cambridge, UK. And I'm Dan, all the way down in the sun-baked outback of Australia in Melbourne. In each episode, we discuss a forgotten film we've plucked out of our oubliette of obscurity to decide whether it should be set free to be appreciated anew or thrown back into our dungeon of discarded derelicts forever. We'll focus on fantastic fantastic cinema, sci-fi, horror and fantasy because, frankly, every other genre makes me fall asleep. Dan, (laughs) how are you? So true. (laughs) I'm very, very well. uh, Keeping busy as always. uh, A few projects on my plate at the moment, but getting through them. Ah, Anything exciting you want to talk about or is it all secret? No, none of it's a secret. Uh, There was a short horror film that I worked on recently. Uh, I was in charge of all the monster creature sounds. So that was always fun as a sound designer, uh, making and recording sounds that sound really strange and scary and terrifying. That was a lot of of fun. Yeah, and and I guess you wouldn't be doing anything cliched, so you'd be giving yourself a Moobly Award. Of course I would. <laughs> I have to say it's going to be really strange in this episode because I really enjoyed having Serge with us in the last episode. Yes. Um so it's going to be odd just being the two of us again. I know. How can we cope? <laughs> <laughs> So, Conrad, uh, what's in the mailbag this episode? Oh, well, we've been getting some really good tweets. Uh, Shelley Flora, who watched our YouTube animated video of a section of Amityville Mm. where we were making fun of the ghosts writing on the wall, pointed out that uh, cursive is enough to make some adults wet themselves with fear. (laughs) So (laughs) we were joking that perhaps the film could be called The Amityville Cursive. Bit of uh, childhood trauma, I I see. Yeah, as always with us. And Melissa Bailey said that she really loved our previous episode with Capricorn One Mm. and agreed with our verdict. She also said she didn't call out the composer after a few chords and was wondering how does one get that in-depth with their cinematic insight. I think that's just Mm. the magic of Surge, quite frankly. Yeah, sure is. Hmm. Uh, So, I guess it's time to visit the Oubliette and see what's in store for us this episode. Ah, yes. One moment, please. Okay, (laughs) by the Oubliette. Wow, what have these movies been eating lately? A lot of uh, ice cream containers lying around. Oh, weird. (laughs) What's all that white stuff oozing out the edges of the Oubliette? I don't know, but I'm going to shut this quick. Mm, I think I got some splash bag. I hope that washes out. Okay, (laughs) so back with the movie, and it is a 1985 horror called The Stuff. 
Mm. Back in the 80s. Ah, yes, back in our favourite decade. <laughs> yeah. So this, this stuff was directed and written by Larry Cohen, and it stars uh, Michael Moriarty, Andrea Markovici, Garrett Morris, Raul Sorvino, and Scott Bloom. Ah, I think Raul is best known as Paul Sorvino. Oh, okay. I did not know that. It's Myra Sorvino's dad. Yes, I did find that out. Ah. So what's the synopsis for this movie? What's it about? So the stuff is about a an unknown substance is discovered oozing out of the ground at this quarry or mining site. And after being tasted by, he looks like one of the workmen, it's <laughs> quickly marketed off to the public as the newest and most delicious dessert treat. <laughs> and so we follow two main characters. Uh, one is, I think he's like an eight, 10-year-old boy, I guess. <laughs> he discovers that the stuff in his fridge is sentient and is moving around. Uh, the second character <laughs> we follow is David Moe. Rutherford, uh, in inverted commas, uh, for Mo, who was paid to investigate the stuff company uh, by uh, a bunch of rich guys in suits, I guess. I didn't even really know <laughs> who they were. And then... Uh, I think they're representatives of the ice cream industry. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Just rich guys in suits on a yacht. Yeah. So then they find out that this the stuff is a, a highly addictive dessert and starts possessing people almost like they're zombies. So Mo, uh, Jason, the boy, and Mo's girlfriend Nicole go on a quest to find out where the stuff comes from and what exactly it is. Along the way, they are helped by the wisecracking chocolate chip Charlie and the highly <laughs> inappropriate. Colonel Spears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lot to say about him. <laughs> so that's what we have in store. Marvellous. Well, can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Well, welcome back, and we're here to talk about the stuff. Mm. Conrad, thoughts? <laughs> so, neither of us had seen this movie. This no. is a double blind special. Double blind. <laughs> Love that jingle. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Larry Cohen is an interesting figure for me. Yeah. Growing up and loving science fiction horror movies, you would hear Larry's name an awful lot uh-huh. as this cult figure operating on the fringes because he's an independent filmmaker. Yeah. So unlike somebody like John Carpenter, who went on to work for big studios, uh-huh. Larry has remained entirely his own voice. And people seem to uh, celebrate it. Uh-huh. But I'd only ever seen one of his movies before, which was Q. The Winged Serpent. Yeah, I, I really love to watch that movie. Uh, mm. Maybe we could do it in this podcast at some point because it sounds mm. very intriguing. Yeah, it is. And I think like this one, the general feeling that you get is that he is countercultural and sort of making films that are social commentary mm. and a little bit anarchic and unusual yes. because he is an independent figure. 
but I struggle with him because at a base level, you want him to make a good movie to begin with. Uh (laughs) And I found this film sort of just odd, basically. Mm. I found it difficult to engage with. Yeah, I think I watched the movie with a director commentary and... Yeah, there was a there was a lot of insight I got from just hearing the director talking about it. Um, it. It appears that this film in particular did actually have quite a lot of studio interference. So a lot of scenes were cut out at the behest of the studio. Uh. But in saying that, how he makes films, from my uh, impression of the commentary, is he has a, a basic film written out, but when it gets to shooting... He changes everything, (laughs) apparently. So he'll change lines. He'll get actors to improvise. He'll tell actors to do things whilst filming. And so it's everything's really on the fly. And I feel that it makes the film suffer because it's so inconsistent. Yes. Whether it's lines are inconsistent, whether it's character development, uh, characters in general, plots... It was such a jumbled kind of mess of a film that was kind of hacked together. And in the overall picture of it, it had no cohesion. Yeah. It didn't feel like a solid film. It just felt pieced together in the cutting room kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So many times (laughs) I would watch a scene and think, hang on, have I missed something? Yeah. Because something has radically changed. And I just wondered if I'd nodded off or something or had a brain fart and missed mm. what, what happened. Mm. So the kid Jason, for example, mm-hmm. he goes postal in a grocery store. Yes. <laughs> with a baseball bat, destroying yeah. displays of stuff mm. and screaming, it'll kill you after he's pinned to the floor by security guards. I know, this, I know. Apparently after one scene when late at night going downstairs for a snack he spots a blob of stuff that spilled from the carton Mm. moving slightly. Now, that's a big leap. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it it made that scene just hilarious to watch because he (laughs) he annihilates that supermarket. He he goes to every single shelf in that supermarket that stocks the stuff and he just pushes it onto the floor. There's, there's <laughs> cartons of ice cream flying through the air. He, he knocks over an entire row of ice cream tubs as well as this nicely stacked pyramid of ice cream <laughs> yeah. containers. That was just asking for it, frankly, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene was hilarious because it just seemed so unexpected and completely out of the blue. Yeah. And it's those sort of leaps that I just found endlessly confusing. Like you had one scene where Mo visits Danny, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, Aiello, Uh who has this dog that he he appears to be slightly wary of Uh because it's a big dog. It's a huge dog. But he seems as though he is the man of the house and the dog obeys him. Uh And he sort of explains his part in approving the stuff to Mo and then Mo goes away. And then suddenly... After you've had another scene, you cut back to Danny Aiello on the run from his dog. Mm. And the dog is the first thing to, very much like The Thing, actually, from 1982, the dog is the first 
visible sign of a mutating, corrupted organism, corrupted by the stuff. Yeah. So it's very much like the thing. But again, it was such a big leap. It's like, why is the dog attacking him all of it? Is it because he told Mo too much and the dog's sentient now? What, mm. what is going on? <laughs> I know. Another, another scene that escalated far too quickly from a character that you'd only just met as well. So you had no sympathy for him. He was just like, oh, okay, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another another scene of just zero explanation. Um, so he, he goes to this fashion uh, advertising shoot for the stuff mm. and he talks to the, the main uh, agent, I guess, in charge, um, Nicole, the Nicole character. Mm. So they meet for the first time and he, he poses as some sort of oil tycoon <laughs> to buy her agency. I don't understand how because he doesn't actually have the money to buy no. the agency. <laughs> anyway, and then she somehow is swept off her feet by how charming and, I guess, rich he is. Um, and then uh, uh, maybe like two scenes later... They're walking down the street as if they've been in a relationship for months. Yeah. And I didn't even know they were even dating. Like, no. They kind of alluded to going to dinner, but that's it. There was no, there's no time after that. There was no time where they kissed or any sort of romantic scene. It was just suddenly, oh, they're dating now? Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, there, were, there is a scene where they kiss, but it's where they're going to meet somebody else to find out something else about the stuff. Yeah. So I thought it was a ruse. I thought that, oh, right, they're just putting this on. Right, And yes. that's awkward. She must be embarrassed because this guy that she doesn't know has just kissed her in front of somebody. It did look awkward. Yeah. But no, apparently they're actually a couple. Yeah. <laughs> but also the worst couple because he treats her like she's just a piece of furniture in the room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in that scene where they go to the lab and he introduces her to one of the um, technicians, he just goes, oh, here, here's Nicole. And the lab technician just shakes her hand and then just turns his back as she's saying, nice to meet. Oh, okay, <laughs> I guess. And she's just kind of pushed aside in the scene. Like she's just like a table in the room. It's <laughs> yeah. horrible. Yeah, it's not a great representation of women. I think the actress actually had a lot of trouble working with Michael Moriarty because uh. he is well known... I mean, he probably fits in well with Larry Cohen's approach because he does just go completely off script yeah, and do right. whatever he wants. So a lot of the time, if you watch her face, you can see that she is spellbound by him, but completely lost in most scenes that they're in. Right. He's talking, she doesn't know what to say, and she spends a lot of the time laughing. And quite often, because the film is so jarringly cut... <laughs> you will cut halfway through her laughing. So even the film doesn't wait to see what she has to say. It just moves on. Mm, mm, mm. So after he teams up with Chocolate Chip Charlie in the, the town where the stuff has been approved by the FDA and they find that there's nobody there, it's a ghost town, everybody's mm. left. And they're sort of chased out of the town. This is the first time that they see the effect that stuff has on people. Mm -hmm. They're chased out of the town by these four guys that just come out of nowhere. Yes. And when Mo punches one of them, his face just collapses. Yes. Which is quite shocking. And they run towards the river and 
there is a man standing behind a, a sign which would have been completely visible to them as they were running towards it, but still <laughs> yeah. he jumped out and surprised them uh-huh. yeah. somehow. But what got me was the very next scene where they're in a diner. They don't seem to be all that bothered about the fact that they've just had this fight with people who disintegrated when they were touched. And all they're talking about is the fact that one of them, his mouth got really Really wide. big. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So what about the bit where you punched somebody's face off? Yeah. But no, that apparently that was fine. Yeah. They just seem strangely unfazed by the whole situation. And it reminded me of something that uh, Serge actually said on Twitter when he watched the stuff. He said that the movie just seems off and nobody seems to behave in a way that he can recognize or empathize with. It's just very strange. I I found every scene very strange. Either they were just very strange scenes or people didn't act how they would normally act or just line delivery was horrible. Or even some scenes where cinematography wise i had no idea what they were trying to achieve Mm. so there's a scene with mo and the guy with the dog and they're at his house talking about the stuff there's like a tracking shot that goes from like the table across the two characters and and finishes with the dog and it doesn't seem to really have a point Mm. um and there are lots of scenes where there were just so many cuts Mm. and so many different angled shots that really took you out of the scene it didn't make it more interesting and just made it oh okay we're on this angle now like i wasn't drawn into the dialogue because Mm. it kept cutting it does have the feel of a film that's been sort of haphazardly assembled i think is probably Mm. the way one of the things that i think is a hallmark of chunks of the movie being taken out apart from these leaps in logic that we've been talking about There are scenes where there's dialogue being added over the top of a transitionary scene, Mm. like where the car is going from one location to another. So uh, Mo and Nicole are going from one place over to a motel in their car. And you hear him saying something about, I think you need to eat enough of the stuff in order for it to take over you. Yeah. And it affects some people more than others. And you think, no, this is a piece of information that was not in the film originally. And you've suddenly realised that you hadn't explained this anywhere. So you've just slapped it over the top of a car scene, a transitionary scene. And it bears no relation to what they were talking about when they got in the car. And it bears no relation to what they're talking about when they get out of it. No. And there are two like that. There's one where Mo says that... there's one afterwards later when when they've blown up the quarry where the the stuff comes from mm. and nicole says something in the car about oh it won't take long for them to dig it back out again mm. just so the audience knows that wasn't actually the third act mm. i felt like there was yeah like you said a lot of adr so mm. listeners out there do, who don't know what adr so adr is um dialogue that's recorded after it's been filmed so it's not on location it's been recorded in the studio so there was a lot of adr like you said that was put there to kind of link mm scenes or to to kind of tell the audience vital information that was never actually filmed on location (laughs) but there was also a lot of adr that was pointless there's one scene when where they go to uh georgia i think they fly to georgia and they're in this limousine with these two 
rich suited uh, CEO guys or whatever. <laughs> As they're driving away, you hear some ADR and it just, it's Nicole. And she says, I hope you don't mind my bringing my male secretary, Roger along. He's so creative. It's like, <laughs> who are you talking about? There is, there is no Roger ever in the movie. <laughs> so I don't know. And I don't know why that was put in. And you can hear it's ADR. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's an attempt to explain Mo's presence in the car. But why would you be surprised to see her have an assistant or a, a colleague with her? It's, mm. it's, it doesn't even need to be explained. Uh, okay, I, I think I, I misconstrued that. I thought she was... I had no idea who she was talking about because <laughs> well, the- Mo didn't really... Mo didn't even act like a um male secretary i don't know it just i it was a very odd line to to hear structurally the film is very odd as well because mm. you kind of get the first act where they're investigating the stuff because mo's been paid to and he's convinced nicole to come along with him and discovering how it works and what effect it has on people. Mm -hmm. Then you get a second act where they're actually trying to stop it because they realise how bad it is and how it's going to undermine society. So they destroy the quarry and escape. But then it sort of just moves on to another act. Yeah. Where all of a sudden we're with... um, Colonel Malcolm Gromit Spears. Mm. <laughs> He's quite ah, the character. Yes. So, so after they've destroyed the quarry, they then go to a castle where this military guy who i don't know if he's still a member of the military seems mm-hmm. to have his own private army and Mo yes. recruits him to help destroy uh the infrastructure supporting the stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just came from nowhere, this character. And to me, the character was completely out of sorts with the tone of the rest of the film, too, yeah. because Paul Sorvino is really chewing the scenery oh, as this yes. dyed-in-the-wool right-wing sexist racist yeah. uh, military guy. I found I found him very similar to the character of, of Telly Savalas from Capricorn 1 um, that we just did uh, last episode just as I, I i feel like they were trying to introduce a comical funny character but he was so cringy yeah. like everything he said was just morally wrong yeah. <laughs> really really quite appalling i mean you were talking about how nicole is treated in the film the scene where he says oh you can thank me after this war in the appropriate fashion and Mo says oh no hang on (laughs) you're moving in on my lady here Uh and Colonel Spears says oh don't worry you'll probably be a casualty exactly (laughs) which kind of suggests that he's going to make sure that he's shot in the heat of battle I know just so that he can sleep with Nicole it's awful (laughs) it's so yeah it's very very uh awkward a lot of awkward scenes mm. um, and he's always touching her or putting his arm around her mm. or like running off, holding her hand. 
And it just comes across... I know they, they were going for funny, mm. but it just comes across creepy. Yeah. And incredibly sexist. Yeah, it really does. And of course, and I'm my mouth was agape at how he treats chocolate chip Charlie at the end of the film as well. Oh, where, yes. Yeah, he, I know. They, they end up in one of his radio stations to try and get the word out to the world that the stuff is bad and not to eat it. Mm. And... Chocolate Chip Charlie, who's been absent for a large portion of the film, comes back and says that he wants to participate in the broadcast and Colonel Spears eventually is persuaded to, quote, let this coloured man on air, which, mm. ugh, I was, yeah, horrified. Yeah. But he, I mean, you can have a racist character in a film without the film itself being racist. Yeah, of course. So it's whether we think that the film thinks that this character is somebody to be admired i don't know like tonally if, if you listen to the soundtrack every time colonel spears is on it's got this very patriotic uh marching band army military style music and it it sounds like he's he's the hero you know he's the one that's saving the day and helping out yeah but at the same time he says all this very offensive language and it just makes you not like him at the same time <laughs> yeah. um but I don't know. His character was so strange because it, I guess it was supposed to be comedic, but yeah, it's hard to be to like a character that's also sexist and racist <laughs> and a bit of a creep. Yeah, and a bit handsy. Yeah, it's difficult to watch. I mean, it, if it's satire, then yeah, perhaps it re- it reminded me of um, Team America. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, yeah puppet movie made by these the creators of South Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it kind of has this underlying message that, yes, the liberals hate mm-hmm. the military-industrial complex and the right-wing um, hawks of the world, mm. but you kind of need these guys to kick people's asses occasionally because that's the only way to deal with them. Yeah. They have this whole speak that's about... Um, you know, we're dicks, and but sometimes you need a dick to fuck an asshole or something. It's, just, it's a horrible speech, but the, the kind of the spirit behind it is that you need these right wing, horrible people to get the job done mm. sometimes. And so I wondered whether that's kind of the the message here is that okay, the colonel has some awful views mm. and behaves badly, but if we're going to defeat the stuff. We need him. Mm. That that's what I thought it was going for. Yeah, I, I feel like there could have been maybe more work done into trying to convince him because that that scene where Colonel Spears and uh, Mo first meet. Mm. So Mo's trying to convince him, but he starts off with pretty much blackmailing him. <laughs> but then he goes, "Oh, don't worry about that. I'll I'll say this other very inspiring speech about <laughs> going against." <laughs> The commies or whatever, um, <laughs> but didn't you just also just blackmail them as well? <laughs> yeah, there wasn't that that you know that moment where this guy has been uh, convinced to help. It, mm. There wasn't that sense of oh wow things are gonna get better now. It just felt yeah very very forced. Yeah, yeah, and then following that scene, Colonel Spears proceeds to hit on Nicole. Yeah. So <laughs> they're not helping themselves. No, no, not at all. Um, 
I don't know. It just the sense that I get is just that you that this sort of person is necessary to achieve certain ends. That seems to be the message. Mm. Which character were we, were we supposed to be rooting for? Are we supposed to like Mo? I mean, Michael Moriarty is engaging, but he just sort of smirks his way through the whole movie. Oh, yes. And I don't particularly like him as a character. He's very arrogant, mm. very sure of himself. He's resourceful, um, and he seems to have his heart in the right place in terms of trying to stop the stuff because he thinks exploitation of the masses is wrong. Mm. But most of the time, his entire uh, raison d'etre is just greed. I mean, he says that his nickname is Mo because mm. whenever he gets any money, he always asks for Mo. Mm. Um, <laughs> yep, that's his catchphrase. That's his catchphrase. <laughs> And so I don't know. Are we supposed to root for him? Nicole is is so sidelined. Are we supposed mm. to root for her? And then you've got Jason, the boy, mm. who is probably the worst actor I've ever seen on film. <laughs> um, his, oh, bless him! <laughs> his, uh, he he stumbles on lines all the time. There are there are moments where you can see. Oh, there's a pause because he's just forgotten his line. Oh, he's remembered it. Um, and there are also many, many scenes with him where he's just grinning for no reason. Like uh, when he's when he's terrorizing the supermarket. There's one like about maybe I don't know four frames or something where you see him grinning because he's obviously having a great time yeah, smashing sure out did. the supermarket. Yeah. But he's not supposed to be happy about it no. as the character. He's supposed to be like terrified. Yeah. So yeah, there's another scene in the car. I think after he gets picked up by Mo, which. I found a really odd scene that Moa would find a newspaper article about a boy that goes berserk about the stuff. Then he proceeds to go to his hometown, mm. grab him off the street, yeah. put him in his car, and Jason's just like, oh, yeah, that's that's normal. Strangers pick me up all the time. Yeah, <laughs> he stops the car and shouts at Jason, I saw it move too. And on that basis, Jason gets in the car with this strange man that he's never met. Now, granted, he is being chased by his family. And that's a scene that's actually shot really well. Mm. I think the cinematography there is great. There's, there's sort yes. of backlit, so they're just these silhouetted yes. figures running after him. It reminded me very much of the 78 Body Snatchers movie, mm. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But still, I saw it move too. When? Right. When, when did... Mo see the stuff move up until that point. He's punched a few hollow people's faces off, but I don't think he's seen the stuff move. Yeah. And even if he has, how does he know that Jason has seen the stuff move? Was that in the article? No, it wasn't in the article. <laughs> I just don't understand this whole situation, really. I don't buy it that, that mm. he would do that. Okay, if his choices are get in this car or get attacked by my family, I suppose... It's the only choice he had, yeah, but still. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time for Random Trivia. Brace yourself, fans of Random Trivia, because Dan is here with a collection of interesting facts about the stuff. Dan, what have you got for us? Ah, uh, well, the scene, the hotel scene, where uh, Mo and Nicole are... Uh, staying at and then uh, the stuff bursts out of the pillow for some <laughs> yeah, reason why <laughs> I don't know I just do not understand that scene at all it bursts out of the pillow it proceeds to attack Mo and then Nicole just 
frantically kind of hunched over screaming, trying to help him, but not actually doing anything whatsoever. And then she thinks, I'll burn it off. So she (laughs) reaches for an oil lamp, which is inexplicably in a hotel room. Why would an oil lamp be in a hotel room? She pours the the flammable oil on him, lights him on fire, and then nothing really happens for a while, and then he throws the goo onto the wall. And then some random stranger (laughs) runs into the hotel room, who I've never seen before, um, and then... They fight him off or something and push him onto the wall and then the stuff ends up spraying onto the wall and then the stuff kind of uh, runs up the wall as if gravity doesn't exist and and the guy is kind of getting pushed up the wall. So the random piece of trivia I have is this room is the same room that was used in Nightmare on Elm Street, Uh. uh, that scene where... Nancy, was it Nancy? No. Well, it's used a couple of times, so it's a rotating room. Yes. And you, so you try to stick everything down and yes. fix the camera in a position, and then you rotate the room, and then things look as though they're defying gravity. Mm. It also means that you can walk up walls and walk on the ceiling and everything. Right. I thought they utilized that room very badly. Yes. <laughs> It was not an impressive shot. And I um, apparently, according to Larry, the room wasn't actually motorized, so they revolved it manually with seven guys just pushing this room around on, like, ball bearings or something. I don't know. And so there are some scenes where you can see the stuff going up the walls and then just sliding back down again. So I guess they didn't push it far enough. I forgot the handbrake or something. So, yeah, just just not used just quite as well. Uh, not nearly as good as what happened in Nightmare on Elm Street, which was a, a fantastic scene mm. with the blood just cascading onto the ceiling. Amazing scene. But no, not in the stuff. No, it's not. No, it's also used when Tina is being murdered. Yes. She yes. ends up on the ceiling. And the trick is to have other characters in the foreground who are obviously strapped in mm. so that they're there as a fixed reference trying to stay still. Yes. Whilst the room is rotating and it sells the illusion. But it doesn't work here at all because if you watch the bed, they haven't starched the bed flat and all of the um, Uh sheets are moving as well. (laughs) Yeah, they don't sell the illusion at all. It's very sad. But it's interesting that this revolving room technology has has been passed around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I think Larry actually saw that scene from Nightmare on Elm Street and sought out that guy and the same room uh, um so yeah and probably the best example is in inception with uh, joseph gordon levitt ah uh, yes fighting people in a very long rotating corridor but that one was motorized yeah <laughs> it wasn't just 20 guys <laughs> straining to rotate this massive room <laughs> no okay and that's our random trivia moment yeah <laughs> I mean, plot-wise, yeah, there, there were just a, a lot of scenes that were, what is happening right now? Why? Like, okay, so they, <laughs> they pretty much kidnap Jason, right? So, yeah. And then they go on a plane 
Jason goes on a plane with two complete strangers he's mm. never met to fly to Georgia. Yeah. And so they land in Georgia and <laughs> Mo and Nicole go off and talk to some uh, CEOs or whatever. They leave Jason by himself <laughs> on a plane. Yeah. He's like 10 years old or whatever. <laughs> and Jason, uh, the plane gets attacked and then Jason just runs off <laughs> Into the woods yeah. by himself. Yeah. And then somehow he ends up at the exact same processing plant or uh, quarry or whatever as Nicole and Mo. Yeah. And he gets into a tanker that Mo just happens to come across <laughs> yeah. and steal. And everything just works out fine. <laughs> I mean, how? How did that happen? I mean, I know Hollywood movies do rely on a lot of coincidences for the yes. plot to work but it felt as though this one was stacking up quite a few of them oh, to the point ridiculous. where the thing kind of falls over to be honest <laughs> but it, are you meant to take it seriously this is the thing that i was never sure of uh, are you meant to take this movie seriously or not mm. i i was exactly the same because it was pushing the boundaries whether it was oh this is just ridiculous comedy like you know you know like movies like reanimator or or night of the living dead that's just ridiculous that it's hilarious but it's supposed to be yeah but there were moments in this where i wasn't sure no i wasn't sure whether it was supposed to be funny or whether it was supposed to be serious and it was funny unintentionally it was so confusing yeah it's tonally just very strange and i don't know if that's because larry cohen's sense of humor is very dry or whether the film just isn't funny or <laughs> yeah i'm not not entirely sure how i'm meant to feel about it so as a viewer i'm watching it and i'm i'm not convinced by the story mm. i'm not engaged in any of the characters and i'm not sure what exactly i'm supposed to be feeling from mm. one minute mm. to the next so the whole thing is just a very difficult experience i think yeah as a viewer, I'm not sure how to enjoy or engage with this movie. Mm. What did you think about... Uh, we've talked about some of the characters. Uh, so we've got Mo, he's the, the suave, mm. charismatic, arrogant asshole, <laughs> uh, pretty much. <laughs> you've got Nicole, who just falls over backwards for any guy. Yeah. Uh, you've got Jason, who is very unconvincing as a boy. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got the very misogynistic racist creepy spears and then you've got chocolate chip charlie who's just your cliche mm. black wisecracking just yelling all the time yeah character that oh, i just i was i kind of let out a sigh of disappointment because mm. it's like oh just Another cliche character, great. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have any agency in the film at all and, and just makes a few wisecracks and disappears, which is, yeah, I suppose, very 80s, very typical of the 80s. Yeah, but I, I kind of, when he was on screen, I actually really enjoyed those scenes. I, I really liked the, the kind of chemistry and interaction between Mo and Charlie. I felt they had great... <laughs> energy together mm. and then he would they just pushed him off and we didn't see him for the rest of the film i kind of got excited thinking oh this is this going to be kind of like a buddy cop 
kind of right. movie where you've got two characters trying to investigate this mysterious substance, mm. but then he's just pushed aside and then the cold becomes the side character, but then she's not really even a character at all. She's just no. there. No, so instead of the buddy cop thing, we end up with Mo and Nicole and Jason basically reforming the white middle class family <laughs> yeah. for, for, for the rest of the movie. That's true. So the thing that they're up against, the stuff. Yes. How does this work? What is happening exactly? Well... Because <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> that's another kind of inconsistent thing of the movie that... I would have thought would would have been the most consistent part. Mm. You know, you want to know what you're up against yeah. in terms of this mysterious entity, but you just didn't know. No. Ever. Because one one scene, it turns a dog into this rabid beast. Yeah. And then another scene, it just kind of blobs around like in the blob mm. where it's just a slow-moving thing. And then another scene... It completely possesses people mm. and controls them like uh, um, invasion of body snatches or something. So, yeah. I don't know. No. I, 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 I was just constantly unsure of what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, which I suppose is is exciting. But given that we didn't know the rules of exactly what was at stake, I mean, if you touched it, did it get you? If it left you, did you go back to normal? Because there are scenes where the stuff comes out of people mm. and sort of deserts the body. In fact, when with Colonel Spears, when they attack the processing plant or whatever it is, there's just this tannoy announcement to all of the stuffies, as they call them, yes. saying, do not engage the enemy, just carry out prearranged plan B or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. they just find them all dead on the floor with the stuff having left them. And then you see a large blob of stuff mm. attacking Jason and uh, Nicole. And it's, so they've, it's obviously left them. So are they dead now or are they back to normal? Or So uh, is it Spears or Mo uh, ends up standing on one of the, the corpses on the ground and, it, and it's just an empty shell. Right. Um, and then all this kind of red powder comes out of it. But... You've also got the the shop clerk in um, Stater, mm -hmm. that the town that they go to. The stuff comes out of him, and then the shop clerk just gets up, wipes his mouth, and he's totally fine. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know whether <laughs> it kills them or not. Because so, <laughs> I mean, thematically, Larry Cohen talks about it's a Revenge of the Earth movie mm -hmm. where the Earth strikes back against the evil humans. Okay. He says. It's a criticism of consumerism and how Americans fall prey to advertisements mm -hmm. and are only interested in stuffing their faces. It's a criticism of the fast food industry in America because mm -hmm. there are people signing off on and encouraging people to buy and eat stuff that is actually bad for them, that's poisons killing them. Mm -hmm. And he talks about Coca-Cola and he talks about... Um, Cigarettes. Coca-Cola is quite interesting, actually, as a sidebar. Mm -hmm. He talks about the fact that Coca-Cola actually did contain cocaine yes. in its infancy. Yes. And I did not know that. Oh, really? No, I did not know that. <laughs> so that is a whole spin on the uh, the scene in, in Demoni, the yeah. film that we uh, looked at in episode two. Oh, yeah, when she's snorting cocaine out of a <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But at the same time, it has all the hallmarks of these people being taken over by something. So it's is it a Reds Under the Bed invasion of the Body Snatchers movie where Jason is being alienated from his family because they're all turning into these drones that have been taken over by the stuff. Mm. Which is actually the story that Moe sells Colonel Spears to get him on board because it plays into his ideology of Reds Under the Bed and the commies are coming to get us and this is how they're doing it, not through fluoride in the water sure. but through the stuff. Sure. So what actually mm. is the mechanism? What If there isn't a consistent set of rules and things, the processes that are happening... I don't get the sense there's a consistent uh, message either, thematically. Mm. Well, I mean, I find with all these horror movies in general, like you've always got a creature or a thing that's killing off characters. Mm. But normally the main villain is not actually the thing that's killing off characters. Mm. It's normally a natural human character. Right. But in this movie, they didn't really have a villain. No. So there wasn't this sense of urgency to trying to overthrow evil it was just a substance i guess and and just corporations and consumerism in general Mm. as the villain but i never felt tense throughout the movie no i think the most tense scene i felt was um when he meets uh chocolate chip charlie Mm. And it's got this really tense music and like all these angles and and he's walking slowly towards his car and then there's a a bit of a jump scare as as Charlie um, jumps out of him. But every other scene should have been more tense, but they weren't at all. Mm. And I I didn't feel like... I, I knew that they had goals to pursue and things to find out, but you kind of already knew... What was going to happen? Because, I mean, the first scene is you find out that the stuff just comes out of the ground. Mm. Like, if they'd cut out that scene with the workmen finding the stuff on the ground, just bubbling out of the ground, and they just eat it, because <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> eat bubbling white <laughs> goo coming out of the ground. Uh, if they cut that out completely and just had advertisements of the stuff as if it was already a product... Mm. Um, it would have been much more tense because you wouldn't know what where does this come from? Is it actually controlling people? It would have been a much more exciting movie to watch. Yeah, it's, it's and it sort of ties in with what we were talking about in the last episode where mm. we were saying that it would have been much more exciting maybe if we didn't know there was a conspiracy behind Capricorn 1 yes. and the investigation actually unearthed all of this. Yeah, or, or maybe if... They just honed in on the boy, on Jason, and had all of these people around him acting really strange. Mm. Then uh, his fridge just getting more and more filled up with this stuff um, and just things just being not quite right and him trying to figure it out. And then introduce Mo's character Mm. in his car and say, get in, I've seen it move too. Then it would have been like, wow, that we're going somewhere. We're we're trying to figure it out. Mm. But... Having Mo and Jason, you follow them at the same time, you already knew all the answers. Yeah. So there wasn't any sense of mystery to it. No, <laughs> no. And I think this is all part of the idea that Larry Cohen is a sort of an offbeat anti-Hollywood movie maker and yes. plays into why New World Pictures were so disappointed with the film that they were eventually presented with mm. once filming had finished. He never had storyboards, apparently. Right. And so 
no one really knew what they were doing until they got there, and then Larry would just figure it out and wing it. And and so it must be so frustrating working with him. It, yeah, it must be incredibly difficult. I mean, the the actor who plays Chocolate Chip Charlie, um, Garrett Morris, mm-hmm. he was interviewed uh, much later and asked what the, his experience of working with Larry Cohen was like, and his reply was. My mother always told me that if you have nothing nice to say about somebody, say nothing at all. Right. (laughs) And then stopped. (laughs) So obviously whether you thrive in that kind of environment Mm. varies from one actor to another. But yeah, it's (laughs) challenging. My impression from Larry, the commentary was he doesn't really give a shit about anyone and he just wants to make his film his way and he's not going to tell anyone until on the day yeah (laughs) so there you go (laughs) okay (laughs) okay so i wanted to quickly touch on uh score and sound design okay Uh, what do you think of the score the score was actually one area that I thought worked quite well, and I was surprised by the production value of it because it's a full orchestral score, whereas for something independent and of the mid-'80s, mm-hmm. you would expect synthesizer music, but no. Uh, Anthony Geffen, Geffen, I'm not sure how you would pronounce that, mm-hmm. uh, provided a full orchestral score, and it had, as you say, a theme for Spears, mm-hmm. and it had various different themes for the mystery of the stuff and so mm-hmm. on, and, and it created a genuine sense of unease when Mo is approaching Chocolate Chip, car, um, Chocolate Chip Charlie's car. Mm-hmm. Try saying that a few times in a row. I did um, before, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I thought the score was pretty effective. I did think it was a tad cliche. Okay. So high strings for tension, obviously. Mm -hmm. They've also got some sort of plucky harp instrument to Mm. create some sort of unease. And they always use bass clarinet in everything. (laughs) It's just this bass clarinet just playing the theme. You know, you've got the army scene and then you've got military music because you've got to have military music whenever... Snare drums. <laughs> Snare yeah. drums and, and brass. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, that scene with meeting Chocolate Chip Charlie, that was really effective. I also thought uh, when Chocolate Chip Charlie transforms mm. and the stuff comes out of it and you've got the strings doing this really gradual ascending glissandi, mm. it's just that, oh, it's so tense. That's... Very effective scene, I thought, that one. Yeah, it is, yeah. Did you also notice that the entire film was in mono? Yes, which is very common at the time. So even something like The Terminator, which you think, oh, this is a classic. No, it's a cheap independent movie and it's got a mono soundtrack. Is it? Really? Yeah. Interesting. I was surprised to find that it was a mono because, you know, stereo's been available for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's that's quite a challenge as well. I mean, th- you've mm. only got one channel to deal with, and so it's <laughs> there's a lot less room to play around with scores, sound design. But apparently Kubrick and Woody Allen really preferred it because mm, it meant okay. that they had total control over the relative volumes of things in the mix, whereas right. they tended to find they would go into a cinema with a multi-speaker setup and they'd be disappointed because there would be an emphasis placed somewhere 
that they hadn't intended. Ah, okay, interesting, interesting. But the sound in this movie is terrible. Yeah, the sound is interesting. Um, back to the uh, the actual mm. stuff again and the sound of the stuff. <laughs> yes. And um, back to the theme of this movie that we have uh, inconsistency. It just sounds different in every scene. Sometimes it sounds almost like trickling water and other times it sounds like this farting like hot pool. It does. And yeah. then other times when they when they light it on fire in in the hotel it starts screaming like Yeah. I'm not sure how it's making those screams really. <laughs> and a lot of the the foley is just seemed to me to be low fidelity mono library mm. sounds, doors opening and closing, yep. and sometimes they were such a lower fidelity than the rest of the film that yeah. it would yep. really stick out. It, then, it, it sounded like they just comp- like literally dropped a door sound effect that they'd found mm-hmm. just straight in the mix and didn't even yeah. mix it as well. Like I mean, even. If you go into technicalities, even the mixing of the dialogue was pretty patchy. There were there were moments where the, the background noise would just be really loud and then really quiet and then really loud and then really quiet. And, and mm. uh, scenes where it was obvious that the boom operator wasn't pointing the mic in the right place and it sounded way <laughs> further than it should have sounded, you know. Um, so, yeah, the sound was interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And the whole scene on the yacht with the evil, corrupt millionaires, yep. where the whole scene is obviously looped or ADR'd yep. after the fact. Yes. And yes. badly, really badly. So badly. I was laughing my head off because they didn't even try. <laughs> they didn't even try to sync it up. It was just, yep, sounds good. <laughs> just slap it on. So. What did you think about the effects for the stuff itself? Again, inconsistent. Mm. Sometimes it looked really thick, like very, very viscous mm. substance. And other times it looked like marshmallow, yeah. like melted marshmallow, <laughs> yeah. just kind of smearing around. And then other times it, it looks just like whipped cream or, or, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah. They used a variety of things to, to create the stuff, I think, in, depending on the mm-hmm. context. The scenes where the actors were eating the stuff, it was apparently uh, partly defrosted Hagen dust ice cream. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Larry commented on how quite a few of the actors and actresses like gained quite a lot of weight from this movie. <laughs> so just eat pounds and pounds of this Hagen dust ice cream. Also, there, there are scenes where they're spooning it from this big bowl and it was just uh, whipped cream. <laughs> also, not the most uh, healthy thing no, to be wolfing down not at all. for hours on a movie set. So, and the scenes where uh, the stuff was exploding through walls, um, apparently it was fire fighting foam. Oh, okay. But Larry mentions that it was made out of ground up fish bones oh. and stank. <laughs> just unbearable stench. And all the actors would just run off and try to <laughs> wash it off themselves. <laughs> but what? When do they make fire fighting foam out of ground up fish bones? What, what is this? Like, I tried to look this up and I couldn't find any evidence of that foam being made out of fish. So I don't know what Larry was using. But I don't know. <laughs> Something from a third world country, perhaps. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. 
Ah, yes, it's that time. It's the exciting Moobly Awards, mm. where we nominate a number of our favourite things in a bunch of very important categories. Yes, yes. So we always started off with our favourite quote. Over to you, Conrad. So there are a lot of great little snippets of dialogue in this movie. Yes. Um, I think possibly most of the really good ones come from... Michael Moriarty's Mo yes. character. Agreed. One that comes early that I really quite like is somebody says that you're not quite as dumb as you appear to be. And his reply is, no one is as dumb as I appear to be. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't really know whether that's something to be really proud of. No, um, but I think maybe it is because I think perhaps what he's saying is that the reason he's so successful in his industrial espionage uh-huh. is because people don't take him seriously. Yeah. And it's all an act. Yeah. So maybe he's just clever. What was your favourite quote? My favourite quote was also from Mo. It happens when he's on the boat. It's actually in that same scene where he's on the boat and he's meeting up with all these <laughs> big wigs in the ice cream industry, I guess. <laughs> and he comes in I'm going to try and say it in his accent Which is just ah. So bear with me He comes aboard the boat And he meets these guys And he goes This is some plants you got here fellas Gosh Let me uh, That's a sweaty palm That's That's two sweaty palms Let me fool you <laughs> Ah that's That's another sweaty palm Yes sir Hello sweaty palms <laughs> <laughs> What is the point of that scene? It's ridiculous. <laughs> no, and I think it's just I think it's just Moriarty having fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. So most eighties moment and if I may, I think mm-hmm. we may have discovered the most 80s moment ever committed to film, <laughs> which is the the advertisement for the stuff yes. where you have the most 80s music I uh-huh. have ever heard created by uh, Richard Seaman, I believe. Uh-huh. And there's a, there's a guy that just look, looks as though the 80s have just exploded all over him. He's got oh. a, a, like a tracksuit on with tiny 80s shorts over the top of his tracksuit yep. and 80s trainers yep. and 80s leg warmers yep. <laughs> over the trainers and a headband. And it's like, oh my God, the 80s have just vomited all over oh, you. This yes, is amazing. Yes. I totally agree. All the women have huge perms as well. Um, and also <laughs> yeah. you'll notice that they're playing basketball, which is, is such a <laughs> it's such an 80s stereo, like. <laughs> This shows some young kids from the street and they're playing basketball and they're all wearing aerobics gear because that's what they do because it's the 80s. <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of thing that you would do now to parody the 80s. Mm, exactly. But Larry Cohen did it in 1985. So hats off to him. He was a visionary. He nailed the 80s in, in one 30-second TV commercial. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Also, there was another There was another commercial they had. They've got this old couple in this restaurant, and she <laughs> he just asks her, how's the food? And then she just says, where's the stuff? But I didn't realise <laughs> that was a parody from a Wendy's ad. Oh. That was the same 
woman that was in the Wendy's ad, and that was her her really? catchphrase in the Wendy's <laughs> ad was "Where's the beef?" So it was just kind of oh, yeah. in joke, except unless you're American and from the eighties, you wouldn't have got that because uh, I had to look that up. Apparently, she got paid fifteen thousand dollars for that one line. So, <laughs> good on her. So, best hair and or costumes. Well, a- again, I thought it was just that advert just had it all, really. But did you have something else that you wanted to highlight? Uh, I would say worst costume were those banana yellow overalls that all, <laughs> all the stuff workers had to wear. Horrible, horrible. Just full body um, hazmat yellow costumes with these matching yellow caps as well. What were they thinking? Which strangely Mo has in his bag just in case. I and know. how on earth? It's not like they've seen them before, so he bought one in readiness for the scene. Yeah. He just strangely has a hazmat suit mm. in a bag. Mm. <laughs> but I just don't understand the matching caps as well. Why? Why weren't they wearing helmets or, I don't know, like hairnets or something? Why yellow caps? I don't get it. No, and I thought there was a scene where Mo is trying to sort of fit in with all of the guys in the yellow suits, but one of them spots him and is suspicious, so he goes after him and they disappear behind a truck and you hear a scuffle and a punch, and then Mo emerges with one of the yellow caps. And I thought, this is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yes. This is a scene where Indiana Jones manages to get himself the rest of his Nazi uniform. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a knowing reference or not, because Moriarty doesn't even keep the cap, does he? Just no. Cast it aside. I, I did find it funny that Moriarty's answer to get out of any situation was to just punch people, because he punches <laughs> everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so... Favourite scene? Did you have a favourite scene? Uh, so my favourite scene, probably going to be my favourite special effect as well, was the uh, the Charlie transformation scene. Yeah. Uh, where he's in, he's at the radio station in the room with uh, Nicole and he proceeds to transform into this stuff monster. Um, he kind of shakes around a bit and then he opens his mouth and his mouth gets wider and wider and then this giant grey tongue mm. stuff creature emerges from his mouth uh, his eyes are bulging the inside of his mouth just looks like rotten flesh it's a pretty yeah, it's disgusting scene <laughs> yeah it's a really effective scene and it's probably the only time it really sort of goes full bore mm. monster movie in a way that I can recognise and appreciate and enjoy I yes. really enjoyed that one too Yeah. so was that your favourite scene too? It was, yeah, it was definitely. And also my favourite special effect, which leaves us with favourite sound effect, which, I don't know, I could not come up with anything here because I thought the sound was universally terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Perhaps you found something. No, I can can think of some really bad sounds. So when they're in the factory, if you listen really carefully, I think because I was listening with headphones, you can hear this this repeated squeak sound. (laughs) It sounds like they had like a two second sound sample of a squeak and they've just looped it over and over and over. (laughs) It's the same three squeaks just squeaking away in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there's a scene when Mo meets Charlie and it's a very tense scene. 
you can hear in the background a hawk screech, and it's, it's <laughs> the red-tailed hawk. I don't know, is. <laughs> listeners out there, the red-tailed hawk is that stereotyped uh, hawk screech or eagle screech that you hear in any movie that has the woods or mountains. Or the desert. Or the desert. Pretty much any outdoor scene will have that sound in it. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe they used that sound in that scene because it wasn't even as though it was a, a desert or a no. remote location. No. It was just pointless. Yeah, it's like they just had the stock library and they just had to utilise every sound that they had. <laughs> oh, dear. So, most cliched horror moment, Conrad. Um... I actually struggled here because I thought that, I mean, the one thing the Scattershot movie had going in its favour is that it wasn't particularly clichéd, mm. I didn't think. It was mostly unexpected, but perhaps you spotted something that I didn't. Um, I guess the only thing that was kind of cliché was every time they seemed to encounter the stuff, they just flailed around screaming because right. <laughs> yeah. that's what happens in horror movies because <laughs> yeah like you've said in the, in past episodes they've spent all this money on the special effect they've got to have as much screen time <laughs> as possible so yeah characters just screaming their heads off and, and not doing anything in particular it's not as bad as in werewolf movies like the howling for example yeah. <laughs> where somebody just stands and watches somebody transform for something like 20 minutes it's yes. just crazy <laughs> fake blood we have this star rating for fake blood category there's not a lot of blood in this movie as we said there are a few gunshot wounds yeah you'll notice in the scene where they've uh, employed these army guys led by spears and they're all running around in circles, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> they don't seem to be doing anything but just running around, jumping over fences <laughs> uh, with these rifles. You will notice in the entire scene, you'll hear gunshots, but you will never see any muzzle flashes. Right. Because I just don't think they had the budget for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, not a lot of fake blood. There's a lot of uh, like ooze, you know, the stuff oozing mm. out of people that have been killed or trampled or run over but yeah not a lot of blood in this no fairly bloodless movie so we can't really comment on the effectiveness of the blood unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) and how about uh, funniest scene there i can imagine that there were a lot of scenes in this that made you laugh which one made you laugh the hardest uh, it's really hard to pick there's just so many funny scenes. Um, I guess the, the the supermarket scene with Jason terrorizing um, the aisles and everything, that was really funny. Uh, so the scene with Jason and he's realized that his family are a little bit strange. They've been, they've been taken over by the stuff. They're trying to make him eat it. He goes upstairs with a tub of it and he, he flushes it down the toilet and he fills it up with <laughs> with shaving cream. And he comes back downstairs. <laughs> Instead of pretending to eat the shaving cream, he is eating the shaving cream. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> that's not good for you. And he, he eats quite a few mouthfuls and then he realises, oh, this is not a good idea. So he runs out the, out the door and he's running away from his family. He gets picked up by Mo. And then he just vomits in Mo's car because, <laughs> as he said, I've just eaten shaving cream. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, yeah. I don't know. I found yeah. that really funny. And then Mo's answer was, 
Everybody has to eat shaving cream once in a while. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I certainly never have. No, neither, neither have I. Um, what was your funniest scene? For me, oddly enough, it was a special effect. It was the scene at the end where you're looking at the quarry and there's this large puddle of stuff. Mm -hmm. And to try and give it some life, they've got these these little bits like poking up like meerkat <laughs> heads. But after <laughs> yeah. a while, it just becomes <laughs> so rhythmic yes. and predictable. that it's, I, I was just in hysterics just watching these little <laughs> bits of stuff poke up and then disappear. <laughs> I that don't was, know. Just really funny. Me. Yes. It looked really odd because it didn't really make <laughs> the whole thing look like it was alive. It just made these these kind of pinnacles poking up alive. And that was it. <laughs> Yeah, and I kind of felt sorry for the stuff. I thought it was quite cute. <laughs> Which, yeah. perhaps if it just stayed as a big amorphous blob, it would have been mm. more scary. Mm. <laughs> True, yes. That's the Mooblies. Yay! It's time for the final verdict where we have to decide whether the stuff should be approved by the FDA and released for general consumption or whether it should be burned in a hotel room and buried in a quarry. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> what did you think of the stuff? Um, yeah, so this this was a mess of a movie, uh, both plot-wise, yeah. uh, character-wise, uh, sound-wise. I don't know. It was really hard to decipher. There were so many... There were a lot of characters that were introduced and never seen again. Mm. Um, or, like, even trait-wise, uh, Nicole. Did you notice she was always cracking her bones? For no reason yeah. at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like cracking really her disturbing. neck and, and cracking her knuckles a lot of elements of the film that you could tell that Larry Cohen had just come up with on the day and told actors to do mm. and, and plot points that just were just shoehorned in there and then not realising how important they were when he cut them out as well so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know such a, such a mess of a film yeah, it's a terrible mess. And as I, I think I said earlier, I found it very difficult to enjoy as a story. Mm. I found it difficult to enjoy as a satire because I really didn't know what he was satirizing. Yes. And if I think if other people have said that Larry Cohen comes up with a great idea, America being killed by a dessert, <laughs> I think... <laughs> You know, it's a great concept. It's a great concept. But he can never settle on one approach to how he's going to take that concept and use it. Mm. So I couldn't really enjoy it as a satire. I couldn't enjoy it as a horror film because it wasn't ever really tense. As no. we've said, it's not. Um, it, there's just a lack of threat. There's a lack of a, an antagonist. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of a hero, quite frankly. And some of yeah. the people we're so, that are sort of heroes... 
they're not actually very nice people. No, no. So I found it very hard to enjoy. That said, there are some things in it that are great. There are some special effects in it mm. that are great. Yes. There are some that aren't. It has a lot of verve and energy, but yeah, I think in my final estimation, I don't think I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah. I think I would let it lie. <laughs> There were so many scenes with dialogue that were just boring. I just felt they, were, they just mm-hmm. went for far too long and it tried to explain things that didn't need explaining and then they would have to explain other things in ADR. So <laughs> I don't know. Like I actually found those scenes really boring and then the action tense horror scenes laughable because there was always mm. some part of it that was just unexplained even even when they were getting chased by those goons and they escaped in a boat mm. they escaped in a dinghy how fast could they have <laughs> rowed away it's oh, it's ridiculous <laughs> so ridiculous i'm still lost on the whole larry cohen thing he he's supposed to be like this punk auteur but i do, i don't get it mm. i think he's just lazy yeah <laughs> or just not as organized as he could be yeah that's that's what I think as well. I think he just turns up and just figures it out, but everyone else <laughs> <laughs> suffers because of it, and his film yeah. suffers because of it. And we as the viewer do too, I think, uh-huh. really. <laughs> yeah. So are we setting it on fire with cognac and throwing it back in? <laughs> yes. Let's do that, please. <laughs> okay. Okay, take that. Oh, that's hot, hot, and in you go. Oh, well, I had fun with it, but I'm sort of relieved to see it go, I have to say. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So, what are we doing next episode? So, in the next episode, we are actually going further back in time than we've ever gone before. We are going to be looking at a classic that still, I think is not as well known as it deserves to be these days. It's 1963's The Haunting. Ah, wow. Mm. Haven't checked it out yet, and it's been on my watch list for many years. So excited. Mm. Well, I'm excited for you to see it because it's actually one of my favourite movies. And I think a lot of people haven't seen it or have not heard of it or maybe saw the terrible 90s remake with Catherine Zeta-Jones, which I wish could be expunged from everyone's memory. Okay. (laughs) So, yes. And even more exciting, we will be discussing it with a special guest. Ah. Because we're all about the guests these days. (laughs) (laughs) Serge got us addicted. Anyway, to uh, get our podcast out there. (laughs) And in the meantime, if you would like to talk to us about our verdict on the stuff or anything else, really, (laughs) you can find us on our socials, which are all Movie Oubliette. And if you're not quite sure how to spell Oubliette, it is... Sorry, uh, what was that? I was just chowing down on this delicious ice cream. Okay, and I think it's, uh, yeah, clear. Mm. I think you should put that tub down now. Huh? Oh, right. And please rate and review us on iTunes or whatever other Mm. podcast platform you are using. It always brightens up our day to hear some good stuff from you guys. 
about us. Yes. <laughs> It's because we're raging egomaniacs. <laughs> yes, so give us all the adulation that you can spare <laughs> and join us next time on Movie Oubliette. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't the Movie Oubliette. After this mission, you can reward me in a suitable fashion.